now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Welcome back, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. I'm here with a triple threat in the food and medicine space. Dr. Uma Naidu is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a chef graduating with her culinary school's most coveted award, and a trained nutrition specialist. And on top of all of this, she's a best-selling author pinning This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, and more. Dr. Naidu is going to talk to us about how to eat for optimal mental and physical health, healing issues you didn't even know were related to your diet. This is the secret to food as medicine. I am so thrilled. I'm so honored. I'm so humbled. I am just so excited to have you on my podcast today. Welcome. Thank you for that lovely and warm welcome, Robin. I was very excited to speak to you and so excited to be invited. So happy to be here. Well, I know you're going to change so many lives today with all of your brilliant information that you have to share. You have actually been called the world's first triple threat in the food and medicine space. Can you talk about your education in the various areas you're credited in? Thank you. Um, I'm trained as a uh, psychiatrist, as my primary training at Harvard. And I also went to culinary school in large part because Julia Child was my food hero. And uh, of course, spent a lot of her life, uh, her later life in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I also felt there was a huge gap, Robin, in the conversations doctors were and are having especially in mental health, because we prescribe medications that cause weight gain, metabolic problems, and other things, but we're not really discussing diet or nutritional lifestyle. Um, and I, I, some of this stems from my childhood, and that's a longer story, but you know, I just had these various influences in my life. And where it led me to is to want to practice a really integrated and functional approach that also uses holistic measures to help people. So mm. There's a place for medications and very important therapy, but at the same time, there, there's more we can be looking for. Oh, I love that. I love holistic medicine. I'm so interested in that. I think it's fascinating. And I think you're right. It's like every human body is different. And so what works for some may not work for others. And so you are brilliant in that you recognize that and you recognize that there's a bigger need for our mental health when it comes to the foods that we eat, along with the medicines that are prescribed and our problems in this world. So I'm thrilled to talk to you today about that very thing. I'm very, very excited. And Julia Child is someone to (laughs) fall in love with. I can totally understand that. (laughs) So tell us about the mindset shift in your studies going from Harvard psychiatry to culinary school. 
I think it had a lot to do with Julia Child, to uh-huh. be honest. Uh-huh. Um, she is a great example, Robin, of what we're speaking about. You know, what you uh, alluded to a few minutes ago is really part of the microbiome science of the gut-brain connection that has emerged that has taught us this food-mood connection. Mm-hmm. And as I was studying, actually, uh, early on in Boston, I was a, a, a was you know I was a student and I couldn't afford uh, anything more than public television. So as I was you know cramming for all of my exams, she would be on television you know dropping her omelet, being super entertaining. Uh-huh. So she was almost a companion in my own food journey. And as I went through uh, psychiatry training, I kept feeling, in part because I grew up in a very much a food family that was heavily focused on education and many scientists and physicians, but also Ayurvedic practitioners. And my grandmother was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I may be a triple threat, Robin, but I was a preschool dropout. I just want you to know that. I refused to go and wanted to hang out with my grandparents. They were much more fun. But, you know, through them, I I, uh, watched them, uh, watched my grandmother prepare prepare fetch veggies from scratch. My grandfather would teach me yoga and meditation to entertain me. So I sort of came into all of this in a very natural way. And it therefore led to me feeling there was a gap when I began practicing as a psychiatry resident, that, you know, we should be asking more questions. But coming back to Julia Child, where we started, you know, I just felt she was such an inspiration. And the point that I decided to go to culinary school was I was, I loved nutrition, I loved preparing food. But when I heard that it was actually her second career, and she went to culinary school much later on, but that's what she was known for and, and beloved for. Um, and I thought, well, why not me? You oh. know, uh, I'd love to do this. And, and that was what took me there. Oh, I love this. You know, I love the synchronicity of it all. And I think it's the reason why I've been so excited to have you on this podcast, not only because of you. your brilliance with in the healthcare world and the fact that you are in psychiatry and you went to Harvard, but combining the love of foods and Julia Child and and also bringing the two together to help all of us with our health. Because my mother loved to cook. So I grew up, she was a stay-at-home woman. She, we, didn't, we grew up very poor, but she made everything from scratch. She just, she loved to be in the kitchen. And there was just always so much love in the kitchen, in our home, yeah. and especially when we yeah. would have our meals because she she prepared everything with such love. And then also my father, I inherited gut issues from my father. Mm. So my entire mm. life I've had digestive issues. Mm. And mm-hmm. of course I didn't know that until I became an adult and, and became so, I would say, obsessed with health. I, I've just researched everything I could. I, I couldn't go to school and really study it, but because I'm really into foods and eating healthy and being healthy and then also reading. I will read anything and everything. I would sit in the floor at the bookstores and just scan every book before I knew exactly which one I would want to buy and take home and read cover to cover numerous times. And then the internet was invented. So I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have this almost synchronicity with you, even though you went Mm -hmm. to school and studied it all. Because I do believe that what we eat and what we feed our minds and our bodies with 
is so important to how we thrive in this life. Uh, you you couldn't be more right about that, Robin. You know, and I love what you shared because so so much of what we do is uh, around food. You know, either preparing it, eating it, waiting for the next meal. Have you ever been at the dinner table or even lunch at work? And we're kind of talking about what are we going to have for dinner? Yes. You know, or when are we going to get our afternoon cup of green tea or whatever yes. it is? Food is always on our minds. And yes. my feeling is why not harness something that is a different lens in mental health because we know mental health even now is still so stigmatized yes and i really commend the people who destigmatize it um but at the same time many people don't want to open up but you also have known like i do many people who don't cook uh-huh. um and watch the watch uh, you know food television uh-huh. so uh, they'll have the food network on and they they've yes. never cooked it a day in their life, but it's it, it, it there's a way in which it engages people, and the conversation with food is really a conversation starter into their mental wellness, um, while finding useful tools that they can use in their everyday lives and the surprising foods, and that's why this is your brain on food is an indispensable guide to the surprising foods because. But very often we're not thinking about that. We're talking about symptoms, but we're not actually connecting it to how we ate. That's so true. A lot of people could have a, a gut issue or a digestive yeah. issue and not know it. You know, I'm just the kind. I'm just the type of person yeah. that's so nosy. I have to know everything about what's going on. You have to on. go look at it. I yeah. have to look it up. I, I have to tell you, when I was pregnant with my two boys, oh, I had to know every, I couldn't believe I couldn't know every day what was going on inside my body when I was creating a human life inside my body. Why can't I know exactly what's happening right now? What's going on? What's going on? I couldn't wait to deliver that baby. Just like, okay, let me make sure I know exactly what I just created. So, okay, back to you. So now I think a good place to start is with the gut to brain relationship. Can you talk about why having a healthy gut is imperative for a healthy brain? That's a great question. And in part, it comes down to the science. You know, eons ago, Hippocrates alluded to this connection between the brain and the gut, but the scientific research had to follow. So it's really only in the the last decade and a half that we've understood that there are trillions of little microbes that are microscopic. You cannot see them uh, to the naked eye, all in our gut. And they're there to help us. But it starts even before that, because it turns out that even though the gut and brain are far apart in the body, they actually start and arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo. So thinking about your pregnancies, you know, they were, these little cells were dividing and they actually started from the exact same area in the embryo. Then they divide up and they grow to different parts of the body and remain connected throughout life by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve. And Robin, I like to call the um, 10th cranial nerve uh, a two-way text messaging system because it's in touch all the time, texting back and forth, but chemical messages that are being transmitted between these organs back and forth all the time. And when you put that together with the fact that 98 to 95% of serotonin, which we often call the happiness hormone, Uh is produced in the gut and the receptors on the gut, um, then you understand that it's all happening in this area. Now, it's also happening in the brain, but another important location is the gut. So people then start to understand. Often I'll give them the example that 
if you've ever known someone that took a medication for depression or anxiety like Prozac or um, Zoloft or many others, they might often initially have some gastrointestinal upset like stomach upset. And part of the reason for that, it's one of the, mo the most common side effects of those medications is because of the location of where that serotonin and the receptors are. Wow. Wow. So if you are going through some bad digestion, your brain probably isn't very happy either. That, that correct. So the, one of the things I love to tell people is a happy gut is a happy mood. And the reason is that if the gut is disrupted, and one of the ways that the gut can be upset or disrupted is by the foods that we eat. And that then gets transmitted because these two organs are connected, gets transmitted back to the brain. And you're right, the brain isn't happy in those cases. So there's so many different mechanisms by which it happens. And I dive deep into that in, in that um, throughout the book. But it's important for us to grasp those basic concepts because then we realize what I'm eating today is important because it's over time going to affect my emotional state. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it's very important, I think, for us to understand that what's at the end of our fork is the beginning of our best or worst mental health. Wow. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Yes, yes. Oh, this is so fascinating. So the gut also plays a big role in our memory, correct? It does. It does. <gasps> oh, this is so fascinating. Foods can contribute to or even fully cause depression, stress, and anxiety. Do you find that people often don't connect their eating habits to the way that they feel? They, in fact, more often than not, um, Robin, they don't. They they will um, say to me, you know, I have brain fog, something that many people are struggling with at the moment and difficulties, you know, being focused. And one of my first questions will actually be, tell me a little bit about what you've been eating. Has anything changed in your life, your lifestyle, your diet? And, you know, if they, for example, had someone recently who transitioned back to work from uh, in the office from working from home. And because the office was, um, it was hybrid, so not everyone's in the office, he kind of felt a little isolated. So one way to interact instead of bringing lunch from home has been to go out and eat out. But his choices in terms of eating out have been fast foods, um, in part because it has been stressful going back to work and he's been busy. And he didn't realize that consuming so much more fast food, because believe it or not, during the pandemic when he was home, he was eating healthier. Mm -hmm. His wife was preparing meals and he was helping and they were eating just a little bit healthier, as many people were. Um, and this impacted how he was feeling and the brain fog that he started to develop over time because these fast food meals were very much disrupting uh, his gut microbiome for many different reasons. Wow. You know what? I've always, because of my digestive issues, my gut mm. issues, because of uh, inherited them from my father, and I grew up with him always pressing on his stomach. He had ulcers, and mm. he, he just was always having an issue with his stomach. And so I always was very aware of how his stomach felt all day long, not just after a meal. So it seems like I just grew up living and breathing that, that issue. So I can remember being very aware of everything I ate, especially mm -hmm. if I remembered my father. My father loved to have a bowl of ice cream 
and cookies for dessert every night, every night. And it's funny how I just will not consume dairy products like that. I will not have ice cream because from a very young age, I just decided I'm not going to do that because I know I've inherited his issues with his stomach. And I, I just would see him do that and he would not feel well afterwards. And I think, right. now, why did you do that? So it, right. it is, it's kind of almost like I'm not doing it because I know I'm not going to feel well if I do that. Well, well, you, you're smart to do that. And also, you know, about 70% of, there's a very large, very high number of people who are lactose intolerant. Yes, I am. And many people don't realize it. You know? Exactly. So you were smart to stay away from something that you knew upset him. Yes. Especially yes. if you were similar. And then I've gone on to test it. And yes, I am very lactose intolerant. How soon after eating a food will you feel the negative effect? Right. That's a great question, Ramon, because there's sort of, I want you to think about it as sort of a short-term uh, impact and a long-term impact. And think about it in the context of this is a marathon and not a sprint. Because the, the gut microbes are about, you know, um, uh, several trillion of these little microbes that are in the gut. Within research shows that within two to 24 hours, they start to react and respond. Wow. But you may not feel it at that time. But say that, you know, my, my client there who was kind of eating fast foods all the time when he went back to work, persistently then eating that, that those foods that are not as healthy for him started to evolve and change his microbiome. So usually it takes a few weeks, mm -hmm. um, a month or even longer depending on that gut microbiome, because what we also know is that each person's gut microbiome is much like a thumbprint. It's entirely un unique. So you may have a response that I may not have to the same food. And, uh, you know, what I'm taking this from is some of the research, but also my clinical practice. And usually it takes a little bit of a while for that inflammation in the gut to get set up, which is one of the mechanisms. And that doesn't happen overnight. But the problem is if you experiencing, you know, some discomfort and you're noticing changes, maybe you're feeling a little bit anxious and you haven't really struggled with that before. It can be many different things. Always think to yourself, you know, what is it that I'm eating? Am I doing something different, you know, um, because it's worth the question. It's something so easily remediable because we, we're eating every day, we're having several meals. And if we just make those tweaks, uh, we can uh, we can start to feel better over time and sometimes even sooner than that. I love that. Now, let me ask you this because this is something that I have done. I don't do it consistently, but if I have an issue with my stomach, with my digestion, because I'm 68 years old, I've gotten to a point where I can pretty much tell you what's going to upset me and what I should mm. eat and what I shouldn't eat. Uh, right. And I'm so happy about that. But I've learned mostly, I, of course, I see the right doctors and have the right tests done and have in the past. And, and it's gotten me to a very, I believe, healthy place. But I think a large part of where I am today is from food journaling. I really mm -hmm. used to focus and write down everything, everything right. I would consume for a, a pretty long period of time so I could check that against how my stomach, how I felt. Do you believe in that? Very smart. That is so smart of you, Robin. Many people don't have the patience yes. or actually the discipline to do that. And it is one of the most useful tools that people write it down that day, that meal, 
maybe carry a notebook in their pocket or their mm-hmm. pocketbook. Because um, one of the things is that it is so helpful to understand a pattern. And when you recognize it yourself, as you've done, it can be extremely powerful. What I also love about it is it puts the power back in your hands, you know, rather than seeing a doctor and being handed a prescription or receiving one electronically as we do these days. You know, the reality is food is something you can manage on your own with Mm -hmm. some guidance. And I think that it just offers one more tool in the toolkit. So I love food journaling. I encourage people to do it. And what I tend to do in my practice is because it can be overwhelming and people are not as disciplined as you've been, I might say to them, look, can you just do a journal for a week before you see me? Um, Or you pick, you know, a week in your life, seven days that you're journaling and you can bring it bring it in when you see me. And that way I have a little bit of a sense of what they're doing. That can be useful too, but even more powerful is ongoing journaling. So you can pick up patterns, trends, and I find super important tracking that against anxiety, mood, mm-hmm. and other symptoms. Yes. And I, there were times when I was just shocked because I would carry it with me. And I was just shocked at the the snacking I would do and just <laughs> the tasting. I was raising it children. Makes you aware. I was like, wow, I, I just, oh, I just tasted two of his, you know, chicken fingers or whatever. But I was like, wow, I just tasted that. I got to write that down. But it, it was kind of surprising to me how many different foods and snacks I had all day long, all evening, that I wouldn't ordinarily even tell myself or remind myself that I'd had in a day's time. And that's another powerful uh, point. Yeah. And the reason it's powerful, Robin, is because we often overlook those snacks and we're not tracking them and you're not writing it down. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the problems in nutritional science research is, is it, it ten, tends to be a reliance on food frequency questionnaires, which is how we gather data. But the reality is many people forget. They don't They don't yeah. recall those snacks. They don't remember those little things, you know, the child eats, say, a piece of a cookie. Yeah. And, you know, mom does, you know, we don't want to waste food. Yep, yep. And so you think, well, he's, you know, I'll eat it or whatever yeah. it might yep. be. And you don't realize you've consumed so much more maybe of not the healthiest foods or whatever it might be. Yes. But by writing it down, it does two things. It actually helps to keep you on track, but it also makes you more mindful because then you realize, oh, you know, I'm eating that extra chicken nugget or whatever it was. Yes. And you remember. Yes, you know? yes, yes. I really believe in journaling and for so many reasons. What are some foods that you see inducing depression frequently? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the foods, uh, Robin, that... Um, tend to be foods we think of in relation to our waistline or a family we worry about because of family history of hypertension or diabetes are also actually impacting the brain. And some of those categories of foods are the, you know, the fried foods, um, the uh, highly sugared foods, a ton of added sugar in foods, artificial sweeteners, processed vegetable oils, which tend to be inexpensive. So many fast food restaurants use them. Um, all of these, you know, the, high, the wrong types of fats, the hydrogenated fats that are not as healthy as, say, the omega-3s, foods like that. But one of the surprising foods in depression is foods that have nitrates. And here we specifically talking um, the the foods that were studied were cured and processed meat products. And um, now you will actually see in certain supermarkets that they're labeled nitrate-free. 
uh, one of the re one of the uh, things that nitrates do that many people don't realize is they worsen depression. Wow. So it's just uh, just one of the foods that you know we may be having a, a daily lunch sandwich every single day, but it matters the type of um, cured or processed meats meat products that are being used. <gasps> wow! What about stress? Yeah, you know, with anxiety, um, there are some overlap. But one of the things that's surprising in anxiety is that artificial sweetness can drive anxiety. And some of the ones that were studied are the ones we need to be super careful about um, because, you know, they, um, they are disruptive to the gut. Uh -huh. And they can, things like aspartame can actually um, worsen anxiety. And I've seen this clinically. Someone may be thinking, I'm trying to come off a soda, right? Uh -huh. And I'm cutting back, so I'm moving to a diet soda. And they may, you know, in their mind, really be trying to make a healthy step. But unfortunately, the anxiety can be increased because of whatever the sweetener in that uh, diet soda might be. So that's one of the more su surprising foods that you wouldn't think about um, wow. with anxiety. Others uh, include things like caffeine. But with caffeine, you know, we need to need to understand that there's coffee and there's caffeine. And coffee has a ton of plant polyphenols, which are great for the body, great for the brain. Um, it's often caffeine that gets people in trouble. And studies have shown for anxiety and stress, keeping uh, your caffeine intake to less than 400 milligrams a day is helpful. Um, the caveat here, Robin, is that Coffee doesn't agree with everyone. Right. Um, so if you it makes you jittery or uncomfortable, it's not for you. You know, especially if you have anxiety. But if you but some people with anxiety can tolerate a little bit, like uh -huh. a cup early in the day, and they're fine. It's often the uh, the added things to our yeah. coffee that are yes. not so great. That's so interesting because I have to have. I love to start my day with one cup of black coffee. And then that, I won't have any more the rest of the day. I don't need it. I don't want it. Maybe once in a while I might have a cup of coffee midday, but I'll only take maybe a sip of it. But I really only have one cup of coffee in the morning, and yeah. then that's it. And you enjoy it. You enjoy I enjoy it. it. You know, I, I'm, I'm a two-cup-a-day uh, person, smaller, small to medium cups, not huge, and I have it before noon uh -huh. because I've learned that if I – uh, even if I'm feeling really tired or jet lagged in the afternoon, I know that it's the wrong thing for me because it's going to keep me up and yeah. disrupt me and make you know make me feel something. Like I think something else people should look out for is that something you can tolerate at one point in your life, you can get to an age where you cannot tolerate that anymore, and be aware that of is that. Correct. Because yeah. uh, and I say that because my husband loves iced tea, loves iced tea. He he drinks iced tea with every meal, but he was always putting Splenda or some artificial sweetener in his iced tea. Mm -hmm. And over the mm -hmm. last five years, he he started having a, a stomach issue, a gut issue that would just, mm -hmm. out of the blue, it just yeah. flare up. Yeah. And, and it, he didn't feel well, and it, it would stay with him for about 24 hours, just mm -hmm. uh, like almost like a flu-like symptom. He had all these tests run all these tests done, just couldn't figure out why he was having this flare-up with his stomach. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, finally, after all these tests, it was the artificial sweeteners he was putting in his iced tea. Oh, so he just oh. went completely off of them. He And he, 
I, I talked him into getting off diet soda. That's the other thing. He would he would mm -hmm. have a diet soda. Right. Uh, I got him. I got off of those like 15 years ago. I don't have diet mm -hmm. soda. And so I talked him into getting off of diet soda about 10 years ago. He doesn't drink those. Mm -hmm. But he was putting mm -hmm. the artificial sweetener in that iced tea. In and he was tea. drinking iced tea yeah. all day. And the doctors yeah. finally narrowed it down to that sweetener. Yeah. And so he doesn't put it in his yeah. iced tea anymore. And he quit that about a year ago, and he's not had one wow. flare-up with his stomach. Of the stomach. It's, it's so helpful to make those associations, Robin, yes. and to track that. And that's one of the things that I call one of the pillars of nutritional psychiatry, body intelligence, which yeah. is paying attention when you're doing something and you're noticing a response in your yes. body. You've yes. done that. Now he's done that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a simple but powerful tool to just help us on our path towards feeling emotionally but also physically better. Yes. You know, just feeling physically. No one yeah. wants to have an upset yeah. stomach and, no. and have live with that. You yes, know, it's, yes. It's, it's been, we talk about it all the time. Like, I, I just, I can't believe he suffered for so long with yeah. something that yeah. he'd been doing his whole life. And then all of a sudden his body yeah. just decided, no, I can't handle this anymore. Can't handle artificial well, should, sweetener. He should, he should have given me a call, Robin. I know. I, I know. <laughs> Your book is the Bible in our home, I have to tell you. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. We've come to a place in this podcast we do with every podcast. When I started, I said two things I want to do. The first one is drink of the day. And when we create our drink of the day, we create a drink that focuses on our guest and our topic. So sadly, this is virtual. We won't be able to share this together. Uh -huh. But we are calling this Dr. Naidu's Anti-Stress Golden Milk. For today's drink of the day, we're going to use your go-to recipe for a calm morning. This golden milk is something you shared with your grandmother, correct? Yes, she taught, she taught it to me. I love it. This has one <laughs> cup almond milk, one teaspoon turmeric powder, one half <laughs> teaspoon raw honey, a pinch of black pepper, which I just love that it's in there, one fourth teaspoon grated nutmeg. You heat all of the ingredients except the nutmeg in a medium saucepan over medium heat for about five minutes. Pour into your favorite mug, sprinkle with nutmeg, and enjoy. <laughs> now, while I oh, enjoy so a bad. sip of this, can you talk about what makes this drink so wonderful for anti-stress? It's one of my go-to drinks, and um, it's very dear to my heart because mm. my, I would watch my grandmother preparing it. Um, it's excellent because turmeric, um, especially when, it's, when you add that pinch of black pepper, oh, becomes delicious. even more powerful um, for your body and your brain. It, the, the piperine robin and black pepper activates the turmeric, uh, the active ingredient in turmeric, to make it... 2,000% more bioavailable to your body and your brain. Oh. So that little pinch of black pepper is, if you use turmeric in anything, 
my tip is add that black pepper in because it's going to make it so much better for your body and your brain. <gasps> um, the, uh, the, the nutmeg has positive um, impacts as well because it turns out that spices are one of the sort of hidden, um, hidden uh, foods in our kitchen that could be really used as a food pharmacy. Um, and we should be adding, you know, adding in spices for different reasons. But those are the important, um, you know, stress, uh, stress uh, uh, busting ingredients in that. And then, you know, almonds um, also contain uh, a short chain omega-3. Uh, it's less well absorbed. So really the heavy hitter in that drink is the turmeric with the black pepper. Oh, wow. And then the nutmeg. I have to tell you, that is delicious. I'm going to start having I'm that so like every it. morning. <laughs> I I love almond milk. I will have almond milk. Yeah. And yeah. I think I love almond butter. I can't, my body can't handle yes. peanut butter, peanut oil, but mm -hmm. I love almond milk. That is just delicious. And I have to tell you, I'm crazy about that pinch of pepper in there. And <laughs> it, now it I know why. It gives it this great kick. Yeah, it gives it a great kick. Oh. And, um, Another recipe in chapter 11 of This Is Your Brain on Food, I add a pinch, black, a pinch of black pepper to strawberries. And it's another really neat, uh, neat and unusual surprise that you feel and taste um, that I enjoy as well. So you wouldn't think of it, but it, it's, no. it's in the book. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. I'm telling you, Secret Squad, you have got to try this drink. And I love that it's your grandmother's recipe. I, I love <laughs> tradition. I love everything about it. That is just delicious. I'm, I'm so happy you enjoyed it. It really oh, touches my heart. That's so wonderful. So if there are foods that make you sad, there must be foods that actually make you happy. What are some of those happy foods? Some of those happy foods start off um, with with an unusual one um, or a surprising one, which is we've all may have heard of a spice called saffron, and saffron is uh, has a really good amount of research involved in improving mood. The only caveat here, Robin, is because we, we when we cook, we only use a pinch of saffron. The research studies used supplements with higher levels and much higher doses that were found to be effective for mood. So I, I, this is one instance where someone might, if they're thinking about it, may want to talk to their doctor about a supplement. Um, by the way, turmeric also features here. It also has a positive impact for, for mood with that pinch of black pepper. Other herbs are oregano, lavender, passion flower, and chamomile. So another mm. type of tea you could have that could be helpful um, could be the chamomile. And um, the omega-3 fats, which I know people have heard about, the healthy fats from things like wild-caught salmon, um, you know, and other, other seafoods that you can get, but also olive oil, uh, nut butters. You mentioned almond uh, <clears throat> butter. That's one of those that has some healthy fats in it, avocados. All of these foods are super helpful for mood. And another group I want people to start thinking about is the pre and probiotic foods and, and the fermented foods, because those are pretty easy to start adding into your diet too. You don't have to take a supplement. You can just start to add those foods in. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That is so delicious. All of those are really very, very good. So when nourishing your gut and brain, you like for people to stick to the 80-20 rule, right? 
And can you explain what this is? Yes. You know, I, I feel very strongly um, that we have too much of a um, culture in the United States of sort of the food wars and the diet dilemmas, as I call them. And most often people will come into my virtual office and say, should I eat this or should I not eat that? And yeah. what should I be giving up? And, and it's almost a fear around food. The 80-20 rule is to make this something we can live with. Because the important thing is you want this to be sustainable habits that you live with and become part of your lifestyle, not just something you do for a week and then that drops off and then you don't feel good again. And so the 80-20 rule is how I, how I like to frame it is, it's not about the actual food on your plate today or the number on your scale tomorrow. It's about what you're doing over a period of time. You may take your child to a birthday party and come across a cupcake, you know, and you at the next meal, just make sure you lean into those healthy greens and salads and plant-rich fiber um, and healthy fats and protein. So there's always a way to live your life in a healthy way, at least 80% of the time. And 20% of the time, I like to say life happens. And one has to roll with it rather than get stressed about it. Because when you get stressed, that kind of yep. just defeats the purpose of yep. what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Flexibility is so important for any diet. We all must remember that, key. right? Yeah, it's key. And we always hear eat the rainbow. But can you explain exactly why this is so important? I, I love that you asked that question because so many uh, people, Robin, hear this and they hear it many times over, but we don't really attach the scientific information to it. You know, I spent um, 20 years of my life researching this and working clinically, um, seeing seeing patients and trying to figure out these things. And one of the things I dived deeper into is the research behind the plant polyphenols, the bioactives, things like cauliflower. You know, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, asparagus, cabbage, they have a, an antioxidant called sulfurophane, which is super helpful for those gut microbes, super helpful for our gut. So when we're eating different colors, what we're doing is we're eating anthocyanins, which give, you know, blueberries that beautiful hue, or um, uh, the orange uh, color to carrots are from carotenoids. We're doing, we're eating these foods, but the colors of that rainbow have a very deep impact on our gut microbes and ultimately on our gut health. They also bring fiber back to the body, which we sorely need. Most of us don't eat enough fiber. Don't eat enough fiber. Sure. And all of these factors actually help us to improve how we're feeling emotionally. And eating the color of the rainbow um, also includes leafy greens. And many people don't realize that leafy greens, um, like you know, arugula lettuce or romaine, are rich in folate, which is vitamin B9. B vitamins are very important for our brain. And low folate levels have been studied for many years and are associated with a low mood. So just eating enough leafy greens on a regular basis can be super helpful for your mood too. So let's say that we're serving ourselves at a buffet. How should we look to divide up our plate? 
The way that I think about it is there are lots of different um, guidances on this. There's, you know, the Eat Healthy Eating Plate, there's Harvard Healthy Eating Plate, there's in the UK they have an Eat Well Plate. Um, this is how I think about it. I want people to really lean into their veggies, the colors of the rainbow, as many different veggies from the salad, from the sides of vegetables, because all of those colors and textures and flavors bring biodiversity to your gut. We need that for our gut health, but also are rich in fiber. Mm -hmm. So I like people to think about at least 50% of their plate being the salads and the sides of different vegetables. Um, you know, if you see some flax seeds on the on the table or you know other little sometimes they have toppings add them in because these are good for your gut they're rich in fiber they're rich in, in things like chia seeds are rich in protein um, as well as others then i want you to think about healthy fats from avocados from um, the omegas from things like um, wild caught salmon um, from you know uh, extra virgin olive oil and, you know, I also want you to think about uh, a clean protein. So if you consume meat and seafood, you know, wild caught fish, um, a piece of uh, a piece of grass fed beef, if you're plant based, you know, some non organic, um, some some organic non GMO tofu, uh, some lentils and chickpeas and things like that, and, and sort of put those pieces together. And then I also want you to remember to hydrate. So drink some water with your meals and, you know, think about how you put that together, but lean into those colorful veggies and then build out the other sources of fiber, healthy fats and protein um, around it. Wow. It's funny that you talked about uh, water because my next question was that thirst can often present as hunger so how yes. can we be more mindful of the difference and how much water should we be drinking at a meal and just kind yeah. of collectively through the day <laughs> as you take a sip of water? That, that wasn't, that wasn't, I'm going to do that but, too. Uh, when, when, when I chat, uh, my, my throat, my, my um, throat gets dry. Uh -huh. um, great. Another great question. You know, we, we should be drinking approximately six to eight glasses a day, just of regular plain filtered water. Um, I like, you know, if you want a little bit, uh, want to jazz it up a little bit, fresh berries, a piece of citrus fruit uh, can just help you to, to keep sipping on that water. Yes. Um, the, not only should we be drinking water, uh, water is hugely important for some enzymatic reactions in our body and helps our metabolism. So these are all uh, really important um, as well. And so just, just sipping on something as you're consuming your food uh, becomes, becomes important. Yes, um, that's, that's so interesting because a lot of people will not sip anything during their meal. And I think it is really important to sip on your water or iced tea, right. like my husband, throughout the meal. I, I think it's, uh, some people might think it's not a great habit. I personally like to do that. And one, one way that I um, help people understand that cue from between thirst and hunger is when they're feeling those hunger pangs, I usually say to them, always keep your, you know, your sustainable water bottle where you can refill it and have a glass of water. 
um, and see how you feel after 10 minutes because often those hunger pangs go away and you can sustain yourself hydrating or having a healthy snack later until your next meal. Uh, and that can be very helpful for, for people to, uh, to know. That's wonderful. Since you're a chef, I would love to hear some of your favorite brain-healthy snack recipes. Yeah, so I, I love to make what I call a granola, but it's really not a granola. But I call it that because it's kind of a nice, tasty uh, mix of extra, extra dark chocolate, which is rich <gasps> in cacao flavonols oh. and great for your brain. Uh, so, you know, 80% of dark, I often will buy a, a chunk of chocolate at a, at a health food store and just cut it up. Uh-huh. Um, and here's a chef's tip, only ever cut chunks of chocolate with a serrated knife because uh-huh. then it doesn't slip. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so I cut up little chunks. I use a natural um, un- unsweetened coconut flakes. And then I add in the nuts and seeds that I like. So it kind of resembles a version of granola with all yeah. our, without all the added sugar to it. And it's a nice crunchy mix that I can keep <gasps> you know, at my desk or a little, like a quarter cup of it, because it's, it, you're chewing. And when you're chewing, you, yes. you kind of, your mouth is busy, you're eating it slowly, you're digesting it and it keeps you, it's satiating, but also like the flavor because you have that, yeah. you know, bite of dark chocolate, you have a little yes. bit of the sweetness from the, um, uh, from the coconut. And I might have that sometimes with a half an apple, something like that is really great. Um, Another of my favorites is, uh, because again, the healthy fats and the fiber, just celery sticks. And I uh-huh. love to make hummus in different flavors, yes. or you can get a, a store-bought hummus. Um, and this brings you great, you know, plant fiber protein from the hummus, the, the chickpeas, and then the nutrients from the celery sticks or whatever veggies th- that you want to dip with them. Those mm-hmm. are some of my go-tos that are easy you don't always have to make them from scratch, but you can, you can um, you know, assimilate versions of that. Oh, I love that. I'll tell you a quick, fun snack that I do. I love honey-flavored mm. Greek yogurt, and I like to take walnuts and yeah. chop them up very fine, like very fine. small, and almonds, same thing. And then I take mm. just a little bit of almond butter, and I stir it all together nice. But it has the, the crunchiness with those almonds and the walnuts. With the chop. Uh-huh. I and like then that. It gives then, it texture. Yeah. And then yeah. swirl it, that almond butter in there. And then I usually will add some blueberries. And I just put like a little, right. we have these little tiny dishes that just little holds just mm-hmm. en- enough for maybe four or five bites. And I'll fix yeah. like six of them and put them in the refrigerator. And throughout the day, Philip idea. and I will just eat one of them as a snack because it's like and it's, and three it's or four satiating. bites. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I might add some of that dark chocolate. I think, I that think one, dark chocolate is always a great idea. I think that might make it a really delicious snack. Ooh, thank you for your ideas. So do you have anything exciting coming up? Um, so I uh, have, uh, I'm, I'm sharing with everyone that they can read a chapter of my book, um, by going to a, a, a website called Gut Brain Romance. And so I would love love for people to check that out because they, they get a sense of what I do oh. and they can follow my work there. 
um, and, you know, get a piece of my, get my newsletter every week, but just a way to stay connected with me if it's something that people are interested in. Um, and in terms of events coming up, I'm really excited to be joining the Women's Alzheimer's Movement in um, November um, with Maria Shriver and some other brain scientists to uh, to really talk about how we can be tweaking our longevity and our cognitive oh. health uh, and things like that. So I'm always up to something. And, oh, that and, sounds. And I love I love to keep busy. That sounds so exciting. That sounds so yeah. wonderful because that's got to be some great information that all of you will be sharing that we all need to hear. I'm so excited about that. So we've come to the place in the podcast that I really enjoy as well. We do it on every podcast, and that's game of the day. Do you like to play games? I love games. Okay, so we created this game again, like we did uh, drink of the day, to focus Mm -hmm. on you and our topic. So this game is called This Is Your Wallet on Food. (laughs) So we're going to do a Price is Right type game today with some nutrition favorites. Uh I'm going to say an item of food and we're both, we both have to guess how much money we think it is and the closest (laughs) to the actual price wins. So I don't know (laughs) what we're about to see, which items, all of these prices are from the same Trader Joe's store. So here's the first one. They're showing it to me now. A 10-ounce bag of kale. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like kale, so I don't ever buy it. So I'm going to... Do you want to go first? Um, Sure. $2.99. A 10-ounce bag of kale, I'm going to say 99 cents. Who's right? They're going to show me the price here in a minute. I love it. What a, what a cool it's, show. Oh, it's $1.99. Oh. So we're okay. kind of right in the middle. I, I'm going to say, <laughs> yeah, we kind of tied on that one. We kind of tied on that. <laughs> okay, the second one is 32-ounce bag of rolled oats. That's 20 mm. servings. Mm. You go first, Robin. I'll go first on this. Okay, 32-ounce bag of rolled oats, 20 servings. I'm going to say $5. I was going to say $3.99. Okay. I'm not sure why. The price is $3.99. Oh, really? Yes, you got it on the penny. That's wonderful. Okay, the next one, 33.8 ounce bottle of olive oil, 67 Hmm. servings. You go first. Hmm. And there's no brand associated, right? There's no brand. And how many ounces was it? 33.8 ounces. Okay. So I would say $18.99. Okay. I'm going to say $25. Oh, you went. It's $5.99. Wow. That's not very expensive. $5? Wow. $5.99. That's great. At Trader Joe's. Wow, that's really great. Good to know. Okay, number four. A 16-ounce bag of frozen cooked shrimp, 90 to 100 shrimp in the bag. 16-ounce okay. bag, 90 to 100. 
I'm going to say like $14.99, $15. Okay. 16 ounce bag frozen cooked shrimp, 90 to 100 shrimp in the bag. You just said how much? Uh, like $15. Okay. I guess I'll say $20. <laughs> it's $7.99. <laughs> Oh, oh my wow. goodness. This is educational to me. We need to start awesome. shopping at Trader Joe's for Okay, this is the last I one. I think so. One dozen organic brown eggs. Mm. Um, do you want to go first, Robin? Okay, so I'll say $5. I was going to say two ninety nine. Okay. Oh, I won one. It's $4.69. Awesome. Awesome. I can't believe I, I can't That is believe the that. funnest game. I love it. <laughs> that was and a I fun game. Something. Okay, so sadly, that brings us to the end of the episode. But before Aww. we wrap up, I need to ask you one final question. This podcast, I've got a secret. I named it that because I feel like we all go through life and we learn little secrets that truly change our lives either from our family members, our friends, even from strangers. So my final question to you is, do you have a secret that you want to share with all of our listeners? I do. And it's kind of, kind of a silly thing, but I want, definitely want to share it. Oh, good. You, you, you were kind enough to list all my accolades and my achievements and all of that. And I, I, I'm honored. But believe it or not, when I was four years old, I wanted to be an astronaut. <gasps> And I'm not even sure how, why that got into my little head, but that's what I first wanted to do. And not quite sure how that, how that evolved in my childhood. Mm. But I remember very clearly telling my parents, that's what I wanted to do. So (laughs) that is so sweet. And you just, and you don't even remember why, but you wanted to be an astronaut. I was fascinated by space. I, uh-huh. You know, I, I definitely was fascinated by space, but a lot of kids are fascinated by space and they play with toys and stuff. But I actually wanted to be an astronaut. I, how, why, I couldn't explain myself. But I guess, you know, I, it kind of uh, filtered through me and, and I, they were always very open to my ideas, like oh. not going to preschool, um, you know, so, so it, it kind of petered off over time. I love it. I love it, though, that you went on to be a psychiatrist and a chef, and you've given the world so much, and you've given us so much today. So can you please tell the listeners where to find you online? Yes, please find me um, at gutbrainromance.com, where you can download a a chapter of my book to check it out called This Is Your Brain on Food. Um, And uh, you can Find me on social media at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, which is Dr. Uma Naidu. And my website is umanaidumd.com, where you can get my uh, weekly newsletter where I share tips like I did on the show, and you can keep in touch with me. That is fantastic. You've been so wonderful. I have loved this time we've spent together. Thank you so much. And Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.